Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about our relationship with God. If you remember, we've been sharing from Isaiah. Oh, that's not the scripture. That's close. Uh, I was too quick for David, I think. But uh, Isaiah 40, verse 31, where it says, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. And then we talked, we followed that on to Matthew 11. 28 to 30, where Jesus says these powerful words, makes this amazing invitation to relationship with him where he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the amazing thing, is that our God is inviting us into relationship. He wants to have relationship with us. How incredible is that? But these verses don't just say that. It, it's, they show us that he provides everything that's required for us to have relationship with him. He wants to exchange our weakness for his strength, he says in Isaiah. And then Jesus says, tells us here that he wants to exchange our weariness and our tiredness for his rest and his peace. You remember, as I shared from this passage in Matthew, Jesus, when he talks about his yoke, he's referring to a farming practice of their day, where the farmer would yoke a young ox to an older ox to, to teach the younger ox how to plough the field and how to carry a yoke. And this is the great thing, that, this great picture, that Jesus is the older ox, that we yoke ourselves to him. And that as we yoke ourselves to him, we learn from him. And we learn to trust him with our very lives. As I've been meditating on this, this idea of coming under Jesus' yoke and being yoked to him, it's reminded me that there is one very, very critical ingredient if we are going to do this. If we're going to have a relationship with God, that the... There's this one ingredient, just like the younger ox has to learn from the older ox, but what he, it has to learn is that it needs to learn to trust the older ox. And as I've been pondering that and thinking about that, I've been reminded that the most critical part of our relationship with God is our ability to trust him. If we're going to have a relationship with God, we need to learn to trust him. Trust is essential in any relationship in our lives, but it is critical and especially important in our relationship with God. Stephen Covey, the famous author, defines trust like this. Trust is the glue of life. It's the most essential ingredient in effective communication. It's the foundational principle that holds all relationships. The dictionary definition of trust says it's the firm belief in the reliability, truth, ability or strength of someone or something. The Bible tells us and commands us, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. Think about him in all your ways and he will guide you in right paths. 
So why is it so important for us to trust God? If I could say it as simply as possible, break it right down to the bare roots, it's simply because God is the most trustworthy being in all existence. So when we don't trust him, we are actually violating what God created us for. You see, this is exactly the problem that happened in the Garden of Eden. They chose to not trust God. They chose to not believe what he asked them to do. They chose to think that God was holding something back from them. They chose to not trust him. And this is the great problem and the great sin that came into the world. What is the sin that came into the world? The sin was that we would not trust God. This is the issue. This is the same struggle we face today. Will we trust God or will we trust ourselves and other things? When we talk about faith, we need to understand that trust is an essential part of faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith, it is impossible to please him, please God, it's talking about. Now, you think about that. As Christians, we think a lot of things please God. But it doesn't say, but without prayer, it is impossible to please God, does it? It doesn't say, but without reading your Bible, it is impossible to please God. It doesn't even say, but without attending church and worshipping God together, it's impossible to please God. It says, without faith. All those things are good, but the most important thing is faith. And this passage shows us very clearly, if we continue to read it, that faith involves trust. Because it says, for he who comes to God must believe that God is. So often many of us think, to have faith you must believe God is. And that is true. But there is more to faith than just believing God is. We know the Bible says that even the demons believe God is. Isn't that right? So what does it go on to say? And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So in other words, you don't just believe, you actually change the way you do life. That you don't just believe in God, but you believe in who he is. That he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So the idea there is that once you know that God is a rewarder, that your response is to seek him. This is the, the crux of trust. Trust is the active part of our faith. Yes, it's important to believe who God is, but then it needs to affect the way we live. Let me show you how this works. Uh, Jesus had a very interesting encounter in the Bible that involved trust. In Mark chapter 10, you read the story. Many of you would know the story. It's the story of the rich young ruler. Anyone heard of that one? The rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, what must I do to have eternal life? What must I do to be right with God? What must I do to enter the kingdom of God, to have a secure future? 
And Jesus said to him, well, you must obey the commandments. And this young guy said, well, I've done that since I was a young boy. I've obeyed all the commandments. Thou shalt not have any other gods apart from me. Thou shalt not... Um, Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not covet. He said, I've done all of them. I'm, I'm all good. And then Jesus said, then there's just one thing you need to do. You need to sell everything you have and give it to the poor and follow me. Remember that story? And the rich young ruler walks away, his head down, because Jesus had asked him something that he couldn't do. And then Jesus says to his disciples after that, they have a conversation about it. And he, he says to them, then Jesus explains the scenario to them. And he says, then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? Now the disciples, it says here, um, and the disciples were astonished at his words. Why was that? Because some of them were wealthy. Some of his disciples were extremely wealthy. Um, think of uh, the tax collector, Matthew. He would have had a lot of money. Um, it says of Mary and Martha and, and their brother, that Lazarus, that they were wealthy people. So his disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, and this is the key statement that Jesus makes. Children, do your parents ever say that to you when they need to tell you something very serious? Sit you down and say, Benito, I've got something important to tell you right now. They say, so Jesus says, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, Jesus had challenged the young man with what really mattered in his life. He realized that he was wealthy and he challenged him, do you trust me? Will you give up all your wealth and follow me? Or will you continue to trust your riches to provide for you? It's a very interesting statement Jesus makes. Those who trust in riches when he talks about that idea of trust, the Bible is very clear that whatever we trust in is the thing that has our hearts. If we want to talk about it from a biblical point of view, we would say that whoever has your heart has control of your life. Jesus described it like this in Matthew 6, 21, where he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What did our key verse at the start say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. So your heart is a key place. Obviously this rich young ruler's heart was money. That was the centre of his life. That was the thing that mattered most. Now in today's world, we talk about heart in a lot of different ways. We give our hearts to things and people so easily don't we one day we like one thing and then the next day we like another one day it's Justin Bieber and then the next day it's One Direction is that, that's a bit old isn't it that's a 
That's a generation ago. I don't know, I'm showing my age now. Back when my kids were young, that's, that was the key thing. But uh, the fact is, we don't really understand the term heart as the Jews understood the term heart. That in, in Jesus' day, when it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, it was speaking into the very fabric of their Jewish culture and how they viewed themselves as people. Frank Damasio tells us that to the Hebrew, the word heart encompassed not only a person's emotions, which is, which is the way we look at it. We think of our heart as the things we like or the things we're attracted to, but also their spiritual, mental and physical life as well. You see, the Hebrew views man as a total unit and the word heart described man as such, which is really interesting because the new buzzword and the way psychology and, and, and people are looking at life now is we're talking about life holistically. Anyone heard that term? Where we don't just treat people, when, you, when you're medically treating someone these days, you don't just treat them for their physical ailment. You actually consider their emotional state as well. And, yeah, and, the, and some doctors would go as far as to consider their spiritual state as well. And we're, in the past, we've looked at our lives as body, soul and spirit, and we've separated each part and compartmentalised them. But to the Jew, it, although they recognise the different parts of their life, body, soul, mind, will, emotions and spirit, they saw the whole man as the heart of man that that the whole part the whole aspect of man was what re was re represented as the heart so when solomon says trust the lord with all your heart what he's saying is all your life not just your spirit but with your physical body with your emotional body with your mind with your will and your emotions the word for heart in hebrew is actually labab, not kebab, labab. Which basically, if we describe it, it's the seat of man's collective energies and the focus of his personal life. The, the heart can basically, if you take that definition, it's talking about the innermost parts, the hidden parts, and every part of our lives, the collective energies and the focus of our personal life. So when we talked about the rich young ruler and Jesus said those who trust in riches can't enter the kingdom of heaven, what he's saying is those who put their whole life into riches, physically, mentally, socially, emotionally, spiritually, all their energy is about riches, they're not going to get into heaven. And if we're what we can basically see is that it says the seat of man's collective energies, what we can basically describe that as, or it can be considered as the very throne upon which our life sits. So the Jews saw the heart as the throne room of their life, that the heart was the throne. Now this is really interesting because even in the Greek context, and this is in the time Jesus was living and the Greek, the Greek language was a very important part of their lives. 
The Greek word for heart is cardia. Taking Damien's mantle today. The Greek word is cardia, which obviously is where we get cardiac. Is that right? You with me? So cardia is the centre and the seat of the thoughts, passions, desires, appetites, affections, purposes and endeavours of our lives. So you can see there, again, this, this idea of it's, the, it's not just a part of our lives, it's, it encompasses all of our lives. As it says there, it's the, it's the seat or the centre of our thoughts, passions, desires, appetites, affections, purposes and endeavours. It can literally be described as the fountain from where everything comes. That's interesting, isn't it? Because the Bible says the heart, from the heart, the issues of life spring out. The literal idea in the Bible is that our heart is from where everything in our life flows, like a, a fountain. And everything that's within us comes from that place of our heart or the throne of our lives. So I've summed this up, is that the heart is the throne of our lives from where our whole lives are ruled. The heart is the throne of our lives from where our whole lives are ruled. So it makes sense. Come with me on this. Stick with me because it makes sense that whoever or whatever sits on the throne of our lives, whatever or whoever has our heart, is who or what we put our trust in. And so whoever sits on the throne of our hearts, if they are what we put our trust in, then they are the thing that has control of our lives. Take the rich young ruler. Obviously money is what sat on the throne of his life's life. And so when it came to the crunch, it, Jesus saying, if you want eternal life, then you need to give all of that up and, and give, it, give it all to the poor and come and follow me. That Jesus had asked him something that was too hard for him to do. Because... His wealth is what sat on the throne of his life. Not that wealth is an issue and people can't be wealthy, but in his life, Jesus was talking into the very thing that controlled his life and said, you're not designed to be controlled by your riches. I created you to trust me first and foremost. So the simple thing is if we, if we sit on the throne of our lives, then obviously self controls our lives. We do what makes us feel good. We do what we want. We do what we think is best for us. If, let's look at this a little bit differently. Maybe some, for some people, fear is the thing that sits on your life. It sits on the throne of your life. And if fear is sitting on the throne, then what controls your life? Anxiety, worry, concern. And you start making decisions to protect yourself from fear. 
Isn't that right? And so you're not living life to your full potential. Yeah, the, this is really critical and really interesting for us to understand and really important for us to understand because in the Old Testament, God talks a lot about something called idols. And the first three commandments of the Ten Commandments are all about not having any gods above God. Don't fashion for yourself any idols or anything like that. What are idols? Idols are simply anything we trust in more than God. Or, and I say it this way, idols are anything we trust in instead of God. That's what idols are. So God speaks into that concept because God, this is, this is why it's so important to get this right. Because God created us to trust. He created within us the innate ability to trust something. We all need to trust something. God's original purpose in the garden was that we would trust him. So when we talk about having a relationship with God, I think that doesn't say it well enough. Because it's very simple to say, oh, God wants to have a relationship with you. And we go, oh, that's nice. You know, just like I have a relationship with my wife or I have a relationship with someone at work, God just wants to be a part of my life and, and that's really nice. It's not, doesn't cover the full meaning of what God is saying when he says he wants to have a relationship with you. What God is saying is that he wants to have a trusting relationship with you he wants to have a relationship where he is sitting on the throne of your life this is what it means to have a relationship with God that everything else takes second place to God that when God sits on the throne of your life then in other words he rules in your life he is in control that's the relationship God's called us to that's what God created us for at the beginning of time God created us to have a trusting relationship with him when so when we didn't trust him and when we don't trust him and we take life into our own hands we're violating the very thing we were created So this is the, the simple truth, is that trust is central to our relationship with God. This is what our faith is. We can say we love God and God is important to us until the cows come home. But trust, real trust, is the evidence of our love for God. In other words... Real trust is us saying, God, you sit on the throne of my life and I will do whatever you call me to do. I will go wherever you call me to go. I will be whoever you call me to be. I just want to finish with this last thought. Nahum 1 verse 7. I don't know if I've ever used Nahum in a, in a sermon. Uh, 
so this is a, a fresh day, but it says this. It says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust him. Having God sit on the throne of your life and trusting him is something that is a big step. I understand it. I totally understand the, the challenge that it is to, to trust God and to let him sit on the throne because everything in our world is telling us not to. But this passage says it really clearly and we've been singing it today uh, really thoroughly but it says the Lord is good. Why it is possible to let God sit on the throne of your life is because simply God's rule never con contradicts God's character. God's rule never contradicts God's character. So when God says he is good, he is good. That's right, Joel. That means he is good. He will never do anything to harm you or pull you down. Even though you may walk through some valleys of the shadow of death, it doesn't say that God has caused that, but it says that God is with you through it. Because stuff happens. And the reality that we can know and trust that God and, and, and allow God to sit on the throne of our lives and let him rule in our lives is because he is good. He, another way it says it is that he is faithful. That he is, faithfulness is trustworthiness. In other words, he is trustworthy. He is more trustworthy than anything else you will ever know. His word is true and faithful. God, our God is good. The, the reason we can have confidence and faith and trust to let him sit on the throne of our lives is because he is everything that we know to be good and love and faithful and true. When we know that God is fully committed to us, it makes sense that we trust him with our lives, that we would let him sit on the throne of our hearts. I've said it many times over the last few weeks, but this is where it comes to the crunch. When we truly know who God is, then we truly know who we are. And so if God is the trusted one, then we are the ones who need to put our trust in him. In other words, if God is fully trustworthy, then he deserves to sit on the throne of our lives. And it's our responsibility. Our role is not to take our lives into our own hands. Our role is to trust him with our lives. Why don't we bow our heads in prayer? I know as we're praying, I know many of us, and I know this includes myself, a lot of us have good reasons not to trust God. Stuff's happened in our lives. 
People have let us down in our lives and it's taught us to be wary of anyone who would say, trust me. And that, that's true. Maybe it's our parents, our fathers, our mothers who weren't all that we expected them to be. And so we've learnt that people can't be trusted. Maybe it's our leaders, whether the political leaders of our day or the, even our religious leaders, our church leaders have let us down. And that, that letting us down has sort of taught us you just can't trust people. But God wants you to know this morning that he is faithful, that he is true. And he, he wants you to know that he can be trusted. He will never, never, ever let you down. He will never, ever let you down. He is good. He is good. So tonight, today, I, I want to pray that we would have a fresh revelation of who God is. Because when we know that he is good, then it's easy to say, I trust you, God. You can sit on the throne of my life. So as I pray, I'd invite you to take a risk, take a chance and invite him afresh to sit on the throne of your life. Say, God, I know there's stuff that stops me trusting you as much as I can, but help me to trust you. I love the story of Thomas, the disciple, where he, he says, when Jesus challenges him about his belief and his doubt, and Thomas says, well, help me with my doubt. Help me with my unbelief. Maybe you're there and you're saying, I find it hard to trust you, God. I keep taking things back into my own hands. All you need to say is, God, help me, with, help me to trust you. Help me to trust you. And that's the prayer, even those who are at home. That's the prayer I would encourage you to pray today. God, help me to trust you. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. But most of all, we thank you for who you are. That God, when you formed us in our mother's wombs, when you, when you thought of us even before we were conceived, you had the plan that we would live in a trusting relationship with you. That our ultimate goal is to trust you to trust you with our lives and that when we discover that and when we find that, that is when we discover who we really are, your children, your sheep, your people, your family. God, I pray for every person here, including myself. God, help us trust you. Help us trust you with all our lives. God, just like the, the idea of the heart is our, the throne of our lives, Help us trust you with all our hearts. In other words, help us put you on the throne of our lives. That you would sit on the throne of our lives and that you would rule because you are good and you are trustworthy and you are faithful and you are love. And we, we believe that and we stand on that and we ask you, God, help us trust you. 
Help us trust you with every part of our lives. Help us reflect, help our lives reflect our trust in you. That we would live our lives in a place that shows the people around us that we trust you first and foremost. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen.